if you would open up your Bibles this morning to the 24th chapter of Matthew, we are going to be starting at verse 45, Matthew 24, verse 45. <clears throat> Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one. I pray that all of us would be impacted by your words in this discourse exactly as they impacted the 11, as they stood with you on the Mount of Olives so long ago. Would you do in our heart what you did in theirs? That's all we ask. We have a simple prayer, and we know that it is a prayer that would be answered because it is according to your will. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Again, just a little bit of re review. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew's gospel, when you read through that chapter, it is when Jesus over and over and over says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Everything is being brought to a conclusion from the beginning of Matthew clear through to the end. And what was that end going to be? It was going to be the end of Judaism as it was known at that particular time. And so Jesus makes this comment in the 23rd, right near the end of the 23rd chapter, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And as they leave the temple, now I have this picture in my mind because by the grace of God, I had a chance of spending a full month in Israel back in the late 1970s. And I remember standing right on the Mount of, uh, right on the Mount of Olives. And it was such a thrill because they say that those olive trees are so old that some of them were probably there when Jesus was there. And as you stand on the Mount of Olives, and you look out across the Kidron Valley, the, the, the slope kind of goes down, and you have the Kidron Valley, and then it comes up on the other side. And on the other side is the Temple Mount, and the entrance where it says that Messiah is supposed to enter when Messiah returns. Just a little something on the side. It's interesting that there are graves all in the front of it. And these graves don't have upright, uh, upright uh, uh, headstones. They're all flat. And they're put there to try to keep Messiah from returning. I, 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 think it was, I think it was the Muslims that did that because if you were to cross over a, a, a dead body, you would be defiled and you would not be able to enter into the temple. And so in another place when uh, the, the scripture says you are like whited sepulchers, that's where we get that from because those the, those stones were constantly covered with whitewash so that nobody, no, a Jew, would not cross over a dead, you know, a grave, a dead body, and be defiled. That's just a little something that's extra, no extra charge. That's just kind of thrown in, you know, makes life interesting. So we're on the Mount of Olives, and where exactly in this journey from the temple up, up the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives all of these questions came, but 
the disciples look at the temple. Now, this temple is not like Solomon's temple. It's Herod's temple. But still, as I said last week, it is the center of Jewish life. This is where the Shekinah, the Shekinah of God resided in the temple. And they point out the temple. They, they point out the temple to Jesus. Jesus says to them, not one stone will be left standing upon another. All will be thrown down. In response to this, the disciples ask him these two questions. The first question, tell us when will these things happen? The second question, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? As I said last week, actually one question that they had because this was their understanding at the time that when Messiah comes, it was going to come one time and all was going to be completed. So Jesus answers their first question, again, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 31. Again, to clarify, this is according to my understanding of the Olivet Discourse. This is not the weight of what we're talking about. What we're ta what we're, the weight of what God wants to say to us is about these two things, about being watchful and about being faithful. So again, uh, if anybody has any difference on me, on eschatology and whatever, fine, maybe God will be able to use you to straighten me out. <laughs> and uh, make no mistake about it, when it comes to eschatology, we all need straightening out. And, and that's a good, that is a healthy attitude to have, okay? Not this thing that we just know and so on and so forth. Let's, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to eschatology, open hands. We don't hold that tight. Even though it is the word of God and it is important, but that's not what this church or any other gospel church should be about. This church and all of the Lord's churches should be about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our blessed Lord. Amen? So he answers their first question, Matthew 24, 4 through 31. Their second question in Matthew 24, 36 to 44 and chapter 25. But he, again, he does not answer their question in the way that they, in the way that, uh, that they expected it. Instead, he exhorts them. Last week, we went over these exhortations concerning watchfulness. And this morning, we are, by the grace of God, going to go over his exhortations concerning faithfulness. So we'll now consider his exhortations concerning faithfulness by examining two of his parables. The first, par the first one is the parable of the two slaves, and the second is the parable of the talents. In some Bibles, the word slaves appear. In some other translations, they're going to use the word servants. My, my understanding is that, uh, in fact, there's a new translation coming out now that I can't wait to get a hold of the... The, the Legacy Standard Bible that uses slaves extensively. My understanding is it's, that the con it's the context that determines whether we should use the word servant or use the word slave. So I'm going to be using the word slave. If I don't know what it says in the ESV, because uh, I'm using the New American Standard, if your translation says something other, uh, it's either slaves or, or servants, okay? So it's the parable of the two slaves and the parable of the talents. So let's begin by looking at Matthew 24 and verse 45, verses 45 through 51. <clears throat> Who then is the faithful and sensible slave 
whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour which he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here again we have a warning, a hard saying. And it's, again, it's important to believe that Jesus is speaking to the 11. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those that he died for, okay? He's speaking to them. The word of God has to speak to us the same way that it spoke to them. We, we have to deal with these warnings in Scripture, these hard sayings, because they're there for a purpose. The purpose is that we would walk in the fear of the Lord and that we would live according to God's word and according to his will. So, 2 Timothy 3.16, how much of scripture is inspired and by, by God and profitable? All, all scripture, that includes all of these words on the Olivet Discourse, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training and righteousness. <clears throat> I'd like to recommend a couple of books to you next week after I'm not here. If Chris doesn't like the books I'm recommending to you, and uh, he'll just tell you. <laughs> Everything that Ed said was fine, but as far as the books, yet, <laughs> nada, nothing. <laughs> one, of the, one of the men that I love to read is uh, Thomas Oshreiner. Thomas Oshreiner teaches up at the seminary uh, where Al Mola is the, uh, the president of the seminary up in uh, Louisville. Louisville, and, uh, and I love his commentaries. I love to get everything that, any, anything that Tom Schreiner writes, I want to read. I don't agree with him in, every, in everything, every single instance, but I love Tom Schreiner. And uh, he has written a couple of books that have really blessed me. There was like, there's the big book, the heavy book, and then there's a book that he abridged. Uh, the big book is called The Race Set Before Us, A Biblical Theology of Perseverance and Assurance. And then he wrote the other one for people like me to understand, which is Run to Win the Prize, Perseverance in the New Testament. And what he does, he's not going to deal with the scripture we're dealing with this morning, but he's going to deal with the tenor of it. He's going to deal with the warnings in Scripture, that we, ought to, the, that we ought to take the warnings, all of the warnings in Scripture seriously. We're not to have such an understanding of our, our doctrine, our theology that says, oh, well, I'm this, so this doesn't apply to me, okay? I would really, I, I, it would be a great book, especially the easier book, Run to Win the Prize, Perseverance in the New Testament. It's an easy read, but it will be a blessing to you. Okay? All right, the faithful slave or the faithful servant. He's, throughout, he's faithful throughout his master's long delay. It's a long delay, and he's faithful. In the end, he's highly rewarded, the reward, the reward being 
that he was promoted to greater responsibility. Now, the Lord is trying to say something to us here in this particular parable. Initially, he was in charge of his master's household. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Now he's in charge of all of his master's possessions. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Our service to God is not going to terminate when the Lord takes us home or when the Lord returns. I believe, and where do I get that from? I get that from the beginning of Genesis. This is something that God spoke to Adam right in the very beginning. He gave them the, a dominion mandate. It has always been God's purpose that we are going to have a, 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 a place in the kingdom of God, a place of responsibility, a place of authority. It's not going to be when all comes to an end that there's going to be nothing for us to do but sit on clouds with harps and praise God all day long. Okay, we will praise God all day long, but not in that, in that vein. The dominion, the, in fact, everything in the Bible goes back to those early chapters in Genesis. There's the seed plot of all of Scripture. So God has given this dominion uh, uh, to, uh, to take dominion over the earth and so on and so forth. And so that is not going to come to an end when, uh, the, when, when, when the Lord returns and his kingdom is fully uh, uh, fully uh, uh, completed on, on earth, okay? So we are going to have responsibility. This is what Jesus is wanting to say to his apostles and to say to us also that there's something beyond our understanding of eternal life and it's called rewards. One of the rewards is more responsibility now and in the fullness of the kingdom. And... Uh, but it's important to remember that where our heart should be, although looking to rewards, because God is a great motivator. God puts things in Scripture to motivate us to do things. Uh, I don't know how many of you read John Piper. I, I like to read John Piper and, and his books when it, it talks about uh, 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 this, this, having this love for God and uh, just want, wanting more of God, what he calls Christian hedonism, which is probably a term that probably can't re be redeemed all that well, but he's trying to make a point that God gives us things to enjoy, that there's things that we should go after and want. But the important thing here is that we should primarily want this for this reason, that it pleases our Lord that when we stand before the Lord and, and we hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now that always, that always sounds good when it comes from another human being. We've all had an experience when somebody said, well, can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus and he looks you in the face, right in the eye. Pick a name, Joshua. Joshua, well done, Joshua. You're good and faithful servant. 
If there's nothing else in this world to live for, that is something to live for. For that. So we're promised these rewards because this, it's something that God wants us to have. And he wants us to want to have rewards. And, and it's a motivation. But to stand before God and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. That's the reason why we should all live our whole life to everything that we do, whether it's being a husband or being a wife or being a parent or being an employer or being an employee or being involved in some sort of ministry or being a citizen or whatever it is. We talk about the glory of God all the time. For your glory, Lord, for your glory. Well done, good and faithful servant. But then we have this unfaithful or this evil slave. He's totally unprepared for his master's return. Look at verse 48 and verse 50 in Matthew 24. Notice how verse 48 and verse 50 are juxtaposed. Juxtaposed is a fancy word that one thing being put against another for the purpose of comparison. Verse 48, but if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, but then look at verse 50, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know. And I just want to repeat what I said last week. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, do it now. Whatever God is dealing you with, let him do it now. Whatever sin it is that so easily entangles, deal with it now. Don't wait. This is the day of salvation. None of us know. None of us know but that this very day our souls might be required of us. Do not wait. Do not get lulled into thinking, I've got all the time in the world, especially all you young people. I mean, you, 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 you look at people like me, and uh, you think that, oh, I'll never get there. I remember when I was just where you're at, just like that. We're just almost like with a blink of an eye. Do it now. Do it now. How do we interpret parables like this? You say I'm a justified Christian. How in the world could God, would God ever say to me, I will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites? In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The important thing to remember is that a parable has one thing that it's trying to get across, and Jesus will use extreme language. Jesus is the only one that could use height and use it biblically. <laughs> Pluck out your right eye. Is, is Jesus asking us to do that? Cut off your right arm? What is he saying? Whatever it takes, do it, okay? So there's a lot, there are certain parts in this parable that are not applicable, but they're there to give it emphasis. So there's one thing that the Lord is trying to get across, and in this case, 
the point is about being faithful and being a faithful and sensible uh, f- faithful and sensible slave. So the point is that what God is wanting to impress upon us in this parable is that a disciple of his is to be faithful to the whole will of his or her Lord while waiting for his return. And remember what Jesus has said, be on the alert, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. This brings us to the parable of the talents. So if you would look with me in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14, all the way down to verse 30. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Just a a little point here. God expects something back from his investment. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are two important principles in this 
parable that I want us to understand this morning. The first principle is that talents are distributed to every person according to his or her own ability. It's very important that we understand these principles. The talents are distributed to every person according to his or her own ability. Now, in the MacArthur Study Bible, he defines a talent. He said a talent was a measure of weight, not a specific coin, so that a talent of gold was more valuable than a talent of silver. All of our talents, whether they are natural talents or fall into the category of the lists of spiritual gifts that are in various different places of Scripture, all of our abilities, all of our talents are something that is given to us by God. Uh, scripture says, uh, actually, John the Baptist, when somebody was saying something to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing except it be given to him by God. So even those things that we would consider to be natural abilities, uh, I can't play the piano, and I can't sing very well either. Uh, a brother of mine last week uh, got in the flesh and told me that he hoped that my... Uh, my microphone would not be turned on while I was singing. <laughs> but God will repay him according to his deeds. <laughs> to explain things as we would talk on the streets of Brooklyn, I use what I got. <laughs> Whatever God give me, I, I use. I use it to the glory of God. I can do one thing that is scriptural. I know how to make a joyful noise. <laughs> a friend of mine, when I was singing one time, he said, Ed, come on over to the window here and let's help you out. <clears throat> when you sing, it's like the th opening up the third woe in the book of Revelation. <laughs> Where do you find brethren that have this ministry of encouragement? <laughs> they are hard to find. <laughs> So all of our abilities, whatever they are, have been given us to God, but, but, but given by God. People in the world that have great talents and abilities and stuff like that, they take the world's praise and admiration and everything. Nobody can do anything unless God gave them the gift to be able to do it. And so if we look at somebody who's really gifted in a particular area or something like that, and everything, let's praise God for it. Instead of wishing that we could do that or feeling bad that we can't or whatever, Say, thank God. Thank God that here's a, a gifted brother, a gifted sister that can bring things into a broken world to bring joy and stuff into people's hearts. So God alone is the one who determines who gets what. Understanding this is the great antidote to pride. <laughs> Instead of being prideful, we look at another brother, another sister, another individual and say, praise God. I mean, I... I, there's so many things that I can't do that I admire in other people to do. All God wants me to do is to be faithful what, what it is that he's given me. I'll give you one area that I really wrestle with. I love to read, I love to read theological books. I love to read heavy books. I do not have a heavy mind to understand heavy books. So I try my best. I get frustrated quite often, but then I have to stop and say, Lord, 
Thank you for the intelligence that you've given me. Thank you for the understanding that you've allowed me to have. I might not be able to understand scripture like R.C. Sproul, but at least I could understand scripture because God has enabled me to do it. So instead of just looking at ourselves and saying, oh, if I could do this or I could do this, be thankful for what God is giving you, no matter how big it is or how small. So, uh, interesting thing, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, where uh, Paul is answering the, the, the Corinthians, they asked a question about, now, you know, spiritual gifts. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, and he goes on. There's an interesting thing that I always see in that 12th chapter of Scripture, because I believe that what Paul talks about, one of the things that he talks about there, when he's talking about how gifts are supposed to operate in the body of Christ, that uh, people, some people can have an inferiority complex and other people can have a, superior, a, superior, a superiority complex. So uh, in, uh, beginning in verse, uh, in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 15, we have what I would call an inferiority complex. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And that goes all the way down. That, that line of thinking goes all the way down to verse 20 in that chapter. So here we have somebody who says, I'm just a foot. If all you are is a foot in the body of Christ, be a faithful foot. Be faithful at being a foot. If God has called you to come in and to set up chairs or to clean toilets or whatever it is, be faithful to it. You're going to get your reward based on the ability that God gave you in the first place. That's what we need. It's, it's not, you, you don't have to say, oh, I wish I could come, you know, I could preach or I could do this or I could do that or I could write books or I could do. No, be faithful to whatever it is that God has called you to do. But then in verse 21 and further, we have a superiority complex. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, ahead to the feet, I have need, no need of you. So you can see where both of these attitudes in the church are wrong. It's one attitude. God can't use me. Who am I? What can I do? Especially in a place like America, where we celebrate and worship celebrity. That comes into the church. There's celebrity in the church. Or pick up Christian magazines. Go on YouTube or whatever. There's always the big names here and the big names there and so on and so forth. The names that everybody knows. Somewhere, Jesus talked about a widow praying somewhere. Nobody knew her name. She'll be rewarded according to the gift that God gave her. It's not about celebrity. It's about the gift that God has given to you, what God has called you to do. Do it with all your heart. It's so important that we have a sane estimate of our own capability. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Who allotted it? Now, we're not talking about saving faith here. 
This is faith for service, okay? I love J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of this. He says it this way. As your spiritual teacher, I, by the grace of God, gave me, give this advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. Oh, if we only all did this, there would be so many, so many less problems in the body of Christ in local churches if we all had a sane estimate of our own capabilities and the gift God gave us rather than trying to come out from underneath that and try to get into other areas will just cause you trouble. I always like to think how a little bit of humility always goes a long, long way. And I need that. I need that. I'm a proud man. I need to humble myself before God. I need humility. And I believe all of us, you know, it was the original sin. We don't need God. You'll know good and evil. You don't, who needs him? A little bit of humility goes a long way. So the first principle here is that talents are distributed to every person according to his or, own, his or her's own ability. Here's the second one. The Lord assesses faithfulness of his slaves or his servants by the percentage of their increase, not according to net gain. Let me say that again. The Lord assesses the faithfulness of his slaves by the percentage of increase, not by their net gain. Their net gain was 5 to 10 and 2 to 4. So they both had 100%. So it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether you're a five-talent person or a two-talent person. If the five-talent person is faithful to what God gave him, he'll get five more and he'll get a 100% increase of his service to the Lord. Same thing with the two-talent person. Why the, the two-talent person has just not been gifted by God in the same way that the five-talent person has. But if they're faithful to the two talents that they have and everything, they're going to have an increase of 100% as well. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me? See, I have I, I've gained five more talents. The second slave did the same thing. He had 100% increase of the two to four. Each of the first two slaves were considered equally faithful. In verses 21 and 23, Jesus says the exact same thing concerning both of these slaves, the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy. He says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the Lord of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. So the Lord wasn't any more pleased with the, uh, uh, the five-talent man as he was with the two-talent because each of them was faithful according to what God had called them and gifted them to do. It was this one guy, the one-talent man, and by the way, Jesus is using the one-talent man as as to be as to differentiate between these. 
these other, these other two uh, uh, men with, with talents. But if all you are is a one-talent person, be faithful to the one-talent. And you will have a 100% increase in what you do, and you will, again, receive from your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the service of your Lord. Don't, I just can't stress this enough. There's so many people in church, in churches, that they show up to meetings once a week. Don't be like that. Being a Christian is not about going to church once a week. It's about part, part of being the body of Christ and finding your place in it and serving faithfully there. I'm speaking to some people, all of you I imagine, <clears throat> that left one church to come here and to start a new work. There's a sense of ownership that you have of this church. Don't lose it. <coughs> Excuse me. When, you, when, when, when churches plant churches, I know my son is in the church where people had left their jobs. Excuse me a minute. <coughs> people left their jobs, sold their homes, moved to another place. Could somebody please get me some water? <coughs> and moved to another place paid a tremendous price in order to plant the church. Big difference between that, <clears throat> just finding a church, going there, showing up once a week, <clears throat> seeing what you can get out of it. Don't be that way. The dynamic that's in this church now, don't lose it. <coughs> no, that's... Oh, you can use a little bit of wine. <laughs> Don't be like that. It's not about going to church. I mean, I'm on my hobby horse right now. This is a pet peeve that I have. I mean, my wife and I were just talking last week after we went home. How special it was just to be with a group of people that are all truly committed, that you know that when there's a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, they're going to be there, that they're going to be here week after week after week and to serve and have a sense of ownership. It's not enough for the pastors of a church to have a sense of ownership for the church. All of you, all of us have got to have that. And even, even when somebody comes and they find a new church, you, you go to that church and if that's where God wants you uh, to be, own it. Go 100%. Fully committed. See where God can use you and serve. Don't, be, don't look to be served. Look to serve. Didn't Jesus give, you, give us that example? When he, he took a towel and got down and put a towel around him and a basin of water and started uh, uh, washing the disciples' feet. Didn't he give an example for, uh, uh, to us? I got to cha chase a rabbit. Do I have enough time to chase a rabbit? Get, I think. There's one book that I've been reading uh, by um, John Piper. 
it's a book that he talks about uh, John Bunyan and William Cooper and David Brainerd. And on the passage on William Cooper, you know, William Cooper uh, is, what, what are some of the Psalms? That there, is a there is a fountain. And also, uh, that's right. He suffered with depression all his life. And in fact, on several opportunities and everything, he tried to commit suicide. It was John, it was John Newton that God used to uh, come alongside William Cooper and help him through this dark world that he, was, that he was going through. Cooper loved the Lord, but for some reason or another, he just suffered with this terrible, uh, 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 terrible paralyzing uh, depression that he was in. But uh, uh, Piper, as he was writing, said that, he said that, you know, over these last several days, uh, I found that as I was thinking about only about William Cooper, it dawned on me that over these last, these last days, I really didn't think about myself. And what he's getting to is something that he learned when he was in school by somebody the name of Clyde Kilby that I believe Clyde Kilby learned it from C.S. Lewis. And it was all about just the, the, uh, how healthy it is to have a sense uh, of, uh, 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 a sense of self-forgetfulness. He said, for all of these days that I was thinking about uh, William Cooper, I didn't think about myself. Life is hard enough. When we spend all of our time thinking about ourselves, that's where depression comes in, that's where disappointments come in. Don't think about yourself or ask God, help me to lose myself. Help me to think about, uh, think about others, not to think about myself. Help me to follow you, to pick up my cross and to follow you. Help me to stop trying to save my life. Help me to lose my life for your sake and for the sake of the gospel. I say that so that we, all of us, would be able to serve one another. It's, a fr it's so freeing to care about other people and not to care about yourself. And hopefully, <coughs> hopefully if you are surrounded by people like yourself, they won't be thinking about themselves, they'll be thinking about you. Please pray for me because I'm having a hard time. <clears throat> the unfaithful slave, he did nothing. All he did was bury it, had nothing to give back to the Lord. The end result of that unfaithful slave, he lost the little bit that he had. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. John MacArthur, commenting on verse 29 in his study Bible, says, The recipients of divine grace inherit immeasurable blessings in addition to eternal life and the favor of God. But those who despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering 
burying them in the ground and clinging instead to the paltry and transient goods of this world will ultimately lose everything that they have. Remember what Jesus said, be on the alert for you do not know the day or the hour. I saw this particular article uh, in Table Talk magazine back in uh, September of, of 2021. I want to read it to you because what I want to deal with, I want to deal with this whole thing now about justification by faith and rewards, how we are, how we are justified by faith and by faith alone, but that does not take away that the word of God also promises rewards that are something that are, be, that, that are in addition to our being justified by faith, our eternal life. This is what it said in Table Talk. <clears throat> One of the motivations for pleasing the Lord is the fact that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive what we are due for what we have done in the body. That is in our lives. Simply put, God will reward the works of his people, and the greater our good works, the greater our reward will be. Those who invest their gifts in faithful service will be blessed accordingly with more of a reward in heaven, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This raises the question <clears throat> as to how we can be rewarded for our good works. After all, we cannot merit eternal life by our good works, and even our best deeds are tainted by sin. Here we distinguish between what grants us eternal life and the rewards of the last judgment. Only the righteousness of Christ will only the, the righteousness of Christ secures eternal life for us. And we have this righteousness credited to us through faith in Him alone. Yet while our works in no way make us righteous before God, the Lord is so gracious that he gives us additional rewards on top of eternal life for serving him. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. The persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works are also accepted in him, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. This is from J.C. Royal commenting on the parable of the Minas, which is a similar parable. It's in Luke chapter 19. He said this, The doctrine of reward according to deeds seems to stand out here as well as in other places in Scripture. Our title to heaven is all of grace. Our degree of glory in heaven will be in proportion to our deeds. Every person will receive in his own reward according to his own labor. Matthew Henry remarks, there are degrees of glory in heaven. Every vessel will be alike full, but not alike large. And the degree of glory there will be according to the degrees of usefulness here. John Calvin comments, There is no inconsistency in saying that he rewards good works, provided we understand that mankind nevertheless obtained eternal life gratuitously. What to do with the talent that 
God has given you. As I was thinking about this, I thought about another scene that I, that I experienced the month that I was in Israel, just at the north of the Sea of Galilee, the area of Israel that Israelis call the Galil. And I remember being up on this grassy knoll where the, the people say Jesus spoke the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it might have been the same place where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. I don't know. But I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about it. You know, so I, I looked up the scriptures of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I came to the one that's in John 14, verses 1. John 6, verses 1 through 14. And uh, in that particular one, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, tells Jesus, there's a lad here that has five five barley loaves, and two small fish. And so I started thinking about that as I was thinking about last week's sermon and this week's sermon and what it is that, that the Lord wants to impact us with. Here's this little boy. There's 5,000. Now, it, says, it specifically says there are 5,000 men. Most believe that there were more than likely women and children there as well. Where are we going to get all of this? Where are we going to get the food to feed all of these people? There's no way we could do this. But Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, Master, we got a young lad over here. He's got five loaves and two fish. So what does Jesus do? Jesus takes the loaves and breaks the loaves, breaks the loaves. Baruch ator Adonai Eloheinu melech haram, hamotzi lechem menorats, and blesses it. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates food from the earth. And he breaks it. And he multiplies it. And he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. What, do we, what can we learn from this? My brothers and sisters, first of all, let the Lord break you. God can only use vessels that are broken. Walk with a limp like Jacob walked. Let the Lord break you. Let the Lord bless you. Let the Lord give him the loaf. Give him the fish. Give him the one talent, the five talents, the two talents. Give it to him. Say, Lord, this is all I have. I prayed that way as I was praying over this. I don't claim to be the greatest preacher in the world. Far from it. As, one, as, uh, as a preacher that I... So admire, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, I wouldn't walk across the street to hear me preach. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that. <laughs> oh, to have his gift. <laughs> Let God break you. Take whatever it is that you have. As I prayed this morning over this, Lord, I did my best to put this together. I'm not the best preacher in the world. I'm not the smartest 
uh, bulb in the box. But would you take this? Would you take this? Would you bless it? Would you speak to your people? Would you do a work of grace in their heart that's going to impact their life the way you impacted your disciples? Would you do that? Do that. Do that with your life. Just give it to God like that little boy. Give it to God and say, this is all I have. Don't have this attitude, this mentality that says, oh, I listen, I listen to this uh, to, to, to this blog and to that blog and to this and whatever, and I read this book and that book and all of that. I can't do any of that. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can and maybe you can't. But take whatever it is that God has given you and give it to him. Don't bury it. You have one life to live, all of us. If there's one thing that scares me more than anything, it's to stand before the Lord and to be unfaithful and say, Ed, I called you to do this, this, and this, and I didn't do it. You know, we've been in the book of, the book of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with the 13th verse, well, uh, Peter starts talking about practical things that we're supposed to do now. Well, in, beginning in verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the first thing he tells us that we are to be as holy. And then he says this, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, 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 conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. First thing, be holy. Secondly, fear God. I fear God. I pray you fear God also. It's a reverence type of fear. It's a fear of not, please, please hear me. This is not about a guilt trip. I hate guilt trips. I hate people that come into services and stuff like that and say, how many people have you witnessed to this week? How many, how much you did? What did you do? You know. No, it's not about a guilt trip. This is the word of the Lord. Please hear God's heart. Whatever it is that God has gifted you with, give it back to him. Ask him to bless it. To multiply it and to be a blessing to others. Peter said again in that 13th verse of that first chapter, fix, forget this life. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Live for that and that alone. Father, in the name of Jesus, please take my humble, my, 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 my humble attempt 
to speak to your people this morning. To think that you would ever use me to speak to anybody about you astounds me as much as the fact that before you ever created the world, you knew who I was and you chose me to belong to you. Please take this, this humble offering. I pray this is not just another church service, but that you would do in the hearts of all of us what you wanted accomplished in the hearts of your disciples. So long ago on the Mount of Olives, do that in us. Bless this church. Use this church to be a beacon of light in a dark world. Keep this church pure. Keep the people in this church fixed on the main thing. Use this church for your glory and for the redemption of humanity. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.